Good morning, FCBC Walnut family and friends. Thank you for joining us in this online platform. I know many of you have been praying and preparing and expecting this weekend to be when we go live streaming. We're not able to do that yet, but the Reopening Task Force is continuing to lead us through this pandemic so that we are able to be prepared to regather at 1555 Fairway Drive. So with that, I want to highlight a few announcements from the Digital Bulletin. First of all, the task force has prepared a brief survey for us to complete so that they're able to gauge where we are at as well as hear from us feedback, suggestions, and ideas on how we can gather outside for worship. We have a parking lot that makes this possible and this is also something that is legally allowable at this point. And so we are pivoting in this direction and we could use your feedback. So please complete the survey by Saturday, July 26th. It will be greatly appreciated. Secondly, we will be welcoming in four member candidates to join our church family through the Wednesday night prayer meeting on July 29th. They have had the opportunity to share their testimonies verbally the last two weeks, and now their testimonies will be in printed form in the link in the digital bulletin, as well as a ballot that is available for the members to be able to return to vote them into our church family. Please do this, especially if you are members, so that church as family is something that we are actively practicing and prioritizing, knowing that they're not only joining us to be on a roster, but they're joining us to run with us in following Jesus on the discipleship pathway. I encourage you to click that link and to read it, and to take the time to pray for each member candidate after you read their testimonies. And then I want to invite all of you guys to be there on July 29th when we gather for Wednesday night prayer meeting to hear them take the pledge, to applaud them and to encourage them and to pray for them. Thank you for walking with them and thank you for being a part of how our church family continues to be faithful to Christ and to be salt and light in the world. There are a few more announcements that highlights opportunities to give, opportunities to grow, opportunities to learn. So I encourage you to read those announcements and to consider if you want to get involved in those various ways. I want to then finish with a brief sharing on how we can prepare ourselves in light of all the recent changes to return. I want to encourage you with these two words, welcome home. You might be thinking, wait, welcome home? We're not able to go back yet. No, we're not, not yet physically on campus gathered together. But see, as the popular saying goes, home is where the heart is, or perhaps as Jesus would say it better, where your heart is, there your treasure would be also. Before we're able to go back, and even as we transition towards outdoors, before we can go indoors to worship, now is the time in which our emotions and our priorities and our time and our treasures could come home. Because many of us have been scattered in many ways, even our hearts have been scattered through this pandemic for way too long. Maybe we're not able to keep track with the online content anymore and it's been harder to schedule in people and schedule in ministries and to schedule in times because everything has been all torn asunder. Well, that doesn't have to be that way if we begin focusing ourselves on coming home and seeing our church family as not only a place to go to, but as a people to regather and return to. And so I want to encourage you to come home not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually to come back to FCBC Walnut. And let us know how we could pray for you in this endeavor because perhaps it's a struggle right now to continue 
this online presence and to continue this online partnership. But we're all in this together. So welcome home. Keep your ears open as to what's happening. Keep your heart soft to the preaching of his word. And keep your priorities focused on Jesus first above all things. And then our church family will feel more and more like home because that's why we exist. With that, I also want to highlight one particular area of ministry in our church, and that is children's ministry. Today has actually been set aside by our denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, to focus on children's ministry. And so I want to bring up a few things that is happening on behalf of Katie Lee, who is our children's director. And then in my pastoral prayer, I'll go ahead and pray for our children's ministry as well. Here are some of the things that she is so thankful for, for children's ministry. Number one is for the continued engagement by you and by all the teachers. Having a few kids myself, I've seen the power of this and the perseverance of this at work. I see that the teachers are calling their classes and gathering them on a regular basis. I see how there's still content and emails and encouragements going out on a regular basis. And we're just so grateful for that that children's ministry is continuing to be vibrant, continuing to be active, and continuing to be a priority. I praise God for the work that he is doing through Katie and all of her volunteers and all of the concerned parents and the people that have prioritized children's ministry. Especially recently, as we've been doing leadership training, how there's a consistent group of students that are in the cohort for children's ministry. You want to learn. You want to grow, you want to be trained so that you can disciple the next generation. Thank you so much for that. Finally, for all of you parents with children in a home, we know that this hasn't been easy for you either. Children's ministry wouldn't be possible if it wasn't a partnership between the church and the home. It is meant to be a holding hands of the two institutions that God has created for discipling the next generation. So thank you parents for continuing to make time in your children's schedule, continuing to walk through the material and continuing to lead your children in prayer, in Bible reading and in conversations. Children's ministry is so important, not just because we need to have something for kids to do, but because this is part of our stewardship of making disciples of all nations. And it always begins with the children who are the nearest to us because they live with us. And they're also among us as spiritual family. So today for pastoral prayer, let me go ahead and lead us in prayer for not only the reopening, but also for children's ministry. Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, for your faithfulness to us through everything that is happening in this pandemic. Lord, we know, Father, how much we don't know. But Lord, we also know that you are in control of everything. And there is not one detail that is beyond your power, that is beyond your hand, and that is beyond your will. So we pray right now, Lord, even for our leaders and for our politicians and for those over us in authority, Father, that you would give them wisdom as they create orders and as they change decisions and as they make laws and as they enforce them, Lord, so that we're able, Lord, to the best that we can be people that are loving neighbor and also be people that are part of the solution in seeing the coronavirus and its infections go down. 
Heavenly Father, we do want to pray for the reopening task force as they continue to lead us. We ask God that as we pivot towards outdoors worship, that you would be able to receive from our congregation the feedback that we need to give so that they're able to lead. We also pray, Lord, for continued dialogue and conversation between the pastoral staff and our congregations with the reopening task force. And we pray, Lord, that as they pivot, Father, that you would energize them, that you would help them persevere, and that you would give them wisdom and supernatural joy that can only be found in who they are in Christ and the hope that we have because you are the head of the church. We also want to pray, Father, for our children's ministry. We thank you, Lord, for this vibrant children's ministry that has continued to minister in the midst of this pandemic. And we want to pray, Father, that you would continue, Lord, to bend the heart of the parents towards their children and also the heart of many of our counselors and teachers and disciple makers in the church towards the home. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to open people's hearts Lord, towards learning and growing. Um, we pray, Lord, for continued perseverance as they teach their classes and have their Zoom meetings and continue to minister to their children. We pray, Lord, for the homes, Father, that you will strengthen marriages and that you will strengthen relationships between parents and children. And we ask God for continued faithfulness and passion towards disciple making at church and in our homes and that even in this pandemic or that we would find ourselves looking towards home as a place of our spiritual presence and also as a place of our spiritual endeavors so we thank you so much god for this partnership between the home and the church and we ask god for your continued protection and leading and provision for our children's ministry as we prepare to regather in your time and we thank you so much lord for this opportunity that we have in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good morning, church. Today's worship is supposed to be the soft reopening, but it is not happening. And when we plan to have two soft reopenings consecutively for two weeks and get a hand over how to reopen, and we, are, we will be opening up to the church in August the 2nd for you to sign up to come back for the reopening of the church and we'll have our first worship in the Mac that will not be happening either. Many of you are disappointed. The pastors are disappointed. The reopening task force and the subcommittee, they are very disappointed because they have spent so much time to prepare the facility to come up with the right protocol to be safe. And also they have trained last Saturday more than 65 brothers and sisters to serve as ushers and security and traffic control so that you can come back, but that will not happen. Everything was put on hold after Governor Newsom announced on Monday about the safe at home order again. The church is closed down indoor. But today, we want you to know as pastors that we will continue with the reopening, not indoor, but outdoor. See, God calls us to lead strong in the midst of a crisis and to rise up to the occasion and to press on. And this is how God called Ezra. This Ezra, God called of a spiritual leader. In, in chapter 1 to 6, God has called Zerubbabel and Joshua to lead the people in the first return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And now God is calling Ezra, this Ezra, to lead the second return to rebuild the spiritual life of the Israelites. Ezra chapter 7, verses 1 to 10, talk about that. Please turn to your Bible, if possible, 
and I let me read to you, and you can join me and read together God's word. Chapter seven, verse one. Now, after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra the son of Seraiah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ashitab, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Meraioth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he asked. For the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra. Came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month he began to go out from Babylonia, and on the first day on the fifth month he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. You know, Ezra seven verses one to ten is introducing a new leader for the occasion, and the subsequent verses all the way until chapter eight, then they will elaborate more on the details of the whole ordeal, that four-month ordeal coming back from Babylonia to Jerusalem. It was a challenge, but we will deal with that later. Today, we focus on this Ezra. First of all, I want to share with you that God calls the right man for the occasion. He always does. Acts chapter thirteen, verse thirty-six reminds us: For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. King David was used by God mightily to rule and expand the nation of Israel, but he can only serve his own generation. God calls the right man for the occasion. He calls everyone for that generation in order to serve and to lead that generation. He called Moses to free the Hebrew slaves in Egypt. He called Joshua to conquer the land of Canaan. He used Samuel to shepherd God's people in a time of darkness, in a time of confusion, and he used King David to shepherd Israel. In Psalm seventy-eight, verse seventy-two says, "With skillful hand, and guided Israel with integrity of heart, God calls the right man for the occasion." How was it done? How did God do to How did God do to call the right man for the occasion? Number one, I'm going to share with you that it was the right time, the, the timing.、Uh, verse one in the first few words says, "Now after this." After what? After the temple dedication, remember in chapter six. After the observance of the Passover and the feast of the unleavened bread. After chapter six, after chapter one to chapter six. Now is the time. Now after this. But let me remind you that from chapter six to chapter seven, which we will preach today, there was a gap in the period of time of about sixty years. Sixty years has separated between chapter six 
and chapter 7. And the major event during this time was the scheming of that evil and powerful Persian official by the name of Haman. He executed an ethnic cleansing of the Jews in the Persian Empire. But God used Queen Esther to deliver his chosen people and preserve them uh, continually in the Persian Empire. But more than that, during this gap of 60 years, other things most likely would have happened after the dedication of the Second Temple. The initial joy and celebration have died down. The initial excitement has waned. They have compromised their faith through intermarriage with pagan women, and most likely they have began to uh, engage in idol worship. This is a crisis of spiritual life of those who return to Jerusalem, and it is in the making continually. Are they in a lukewarm state? We don't know. Are they in a passive state? We don't know. But most likely that has happened so that God has to call Ezra, who can preach God's word powerfully to revert that decline, to revert the deterioration of their spiritual condition. God calls Ezra to confront their sins. And sometimes I wonder, after four months, uh, with online worship, with minimal contact, and with minimal interactions during this period of time, are we also falling into a lukewarmness of our faith? Are we becoming more and more passive in the way we worship online, in the way we participate in a prayer meeting, in the way we enjoy and connect with our small groups? Are we pretty much in a wait and see mode, in a domain mode of our faith? And yet God calls us to rise up to the occasion. God calls us to be light and salt, even in the midst of COVID-19. That was a perfect timing that God challenged and uh, uh, aroused uh, Ezra for the occasion. And secondly, he was the right man. Verses 1b all the way to verse 5, uh, it says, you know, it, it traces, it traces uh, the life of uh, Azariah and how he can be the right man for the occasion. First of all, he's from the priestly lineage. Okay, verses 1b to 5 all the way shows you how, how he was all connected all the way to, to Aaron. And unlike some priests in chapter 6, in chapter 2, that they could not trace and prove their ancestry, but not Ezra. See, tracing that genealogy, just like everybody else that happened in chapter 2, is also called upon, uh, uh, requested on Ezra, because he has to prove his lineage that he is truly an Israelite. But more than an Israelite, he is from the priestly lineage. He comes from a very powerful and spiritual lineage that is able to seek God, know God's heart, that has been exposed to the priestly functions for many, many years and through many generations, and he will continue to carry that on. Some might have fallen, some might have failed, but not Ezra. Ezra proved his credential to be able to lead and to guide his people back to a spiritual vitality. Now, the list of the uh, priestly lineage is abbreviated most likely. Not all generations are being mentioned, but that shows you the long trace of Ezra all the way back to Aaron. 
And secondly, his heart is right. Verse 6 says, I really love this phrase. Verse 6 says, this Ezra went out from Babylonia. This Ezra. So I picked this as our topic. Not any Ezra. Maybe quite a number of people have chosen the name of Ezra. But this Ezra, he is different. He is unique. He is the man of the, for the occasion. He is of a different breed. Chooses to be the exceptional few. He stands with the 42,000 who went back to Jerusalem in the first wave of return. He stands with them together. You know, the first call of leadership is to make a difference by changing for the better. That's the first call of leadership. And I wonder, is God calling some of you to rise up to the occasion to be the leader, the spiritual leader that is used by God, humbly and boldly to make a difference by changing for the better. That some who are spiritually lethargic, some who are spiritually backsliding, some who are spiritually lukewarm, you stand up to make a difference and call them to the occasion and challenge them and move them and journey together with them to rise up to the occasion. The first call of leadership is to make a difference by changing for the better. And God calls His servants to rise up to the occasion. He is the right man. He has a priestly lineage. But thirdly, he is a scribe skilled in God's word. A scribe is a person who functions as a copier of God's word, as a writer of God's word, as a communicator of God's word, especially the law of Moses. Uh, the scribe's function at the time of Ezra is still being developed, but he is well-versed in God's word. He is skilled in God's word. And fourthly, he has the king's favor. He has the king's favor because he has God's blessing. How can you get king's favor, a Gentile, a pagan king's favor, who doesn't believe in Jehovah and have favor upon someone who is of the priestly lineage, who has the heart to go back to rebuild the spiritual life of God's people? Unless God blesses, unless God stir up, the hearts of the king, just like the way God stirred up King Cyrus to begin the whole return to Jerusalem process, to initiate the whole process to make it happen. He has the king's favor because he has God's blessing. But also, he has God's blessing, that's for sure. He has God's blessing. He is skilled in God's word. Why does he have God's blessing? Because he knows God's word. And because he knows God's word, he will do what God's word teaches and when you do what God teaches, God will bless, God will honor, because this is God's will. So he has God's blessing, and because of that, he has the king's favor, because he immerses himself in God's word and lead with confidence. You know, God calls his men at the right time to serve the right people and for the right cause. And I wonder, would you rise up for the occasion during this COVID-19 pandemic? that seems to prolong, extend more and more. It seems that we will be in this condition for many, many weeks to come. In fact, the governor was kind of prepare the people that it will not go away. The summer heat will not drive it away. It can be quite a while when we are put in this state. And in this crisis, would you rise up to the occasion 
you know, I think our church is moving into somewhat of a leadership succession. We see the first generation of leaders who serve God so faithfully, who are so committed to the church. They are coming of age and they are coming to the point where they are preparing and they are looking for people, looking for successors to be willing to take up the baton. Leadership succession is happening from the pastoral team, uh, in the deacon board, in the officers, Sunday school teachers, small group leaders. But would you rise up to the occasion when the first generation leaders have served God so faithfully and so committed to the cause of the Church of Jesus Christ in FCBC Walnut here, but when they pass the baton, my question is, would there be baton receiver? Would there be people who are ready and say, I am not perfect, I need to be challenged, I need to learn, but I am willing to take up the baton. You know, it's like football, you have a quarterback, you have the greatest quarterback, but when a quarterback throws that football, who is going to receive it with confidence and not drop the ball? You need both. You need quarterback who is able to give out the ball in, 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 a, in a precise time and coming to the right place, but you need receivers to catch the ball and not drop the ball. That's when touchdown can happen. And when the first generation is ready, uh, is coming to the place where they feel like, I have to groom the next generation, would there be baton receivers? And I'm challenging our young people, our younger generation, that you will consider, that you will seek the Lord and say, God, in the midst of a crisis, I want to be that baton receiver. I'm not perfect. I am yet to be uh, molded by you. I'm willing to do that. I make some mistakes. I'll fumble sometimes, but I will learn. I'll humble myself and I will pick up and run again. And if you bless me, I will do that. Would you pay the price of leadership to make a difference? It, it, it takes sacrifices to initiate a change and to make a difference calls for sacrifices. It will not happen by itself. And I wonder, in the midst of our congregation who are listening to the online sermon today, I speak to you from my heart. Would you aspire to be deacons of the church? Would you aspire to be officers of the church? Would you aspire to be Sunday school teachers and small group leaders, children's workers, disciple makers, and be willing to be trained, to be corrected, to be coached, and be humble? Sometimes by failure and learn lessons of life that will help you to journey strong for the gospel and for the church of Jesus Christ. Would you do that? Would you rise up to the occasions as Ezra did because he was in the midst of a crisis? He said, God, I'm here. I will do it. By the blessings of God and anchor myself in God's word. And that's what he did. The second point I want to share with you is the man of God anchors in God's word. Just be willing to serve, just be willing to lead is not sufficient. Sometimes your personal agenda, your personal ambition may gets in the way and that cloud the direction that God has for the community. And we need God's word to guide us. So the man of God must anchor in God's word. Beginning verses 7 to 9, it is a summary, a very brief summary, three verses that captures the four months journey that Ezra took and led the people back from Babylonia to Jerusalem. That is not possible, but at least he summarized it, because the focus is not on the journey. The focus now is on the Word of God. 
And that journey will be expanded in a much more detail. And you can feel the challenge and all the things that they have to go through, uh, beginning in verse 11, all the way to chapter 8 until the end. But right now, the focus is on the man of God. So verse 10 is the focus. Verse 10 says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. The man of God anchors in the word of God. He studies the word of God. He observes the word of God. He teaches the word of God. Now, first point says he studies the word of God. He set his heart. He was focused. He was determined because his ministry depends on the word of God. His leadership depends on the word of God. And he knows that. He set his heart to go deep into God's word, to know the will of God, to know the command of God, so that he'll be able to lead the Israelites with confidence and teach them how to obey God's word and to be revived in their spiritual state. And secondly, the Bible says he observes the word of God. He not only studied the law of the Lord and to do it, he observes the word of God because not only he studies God's word, he let God's word studies him. He let God's, he allowed God's word to move and transform him so that he will be able to teach with power, teach with conviction. He personally experienced revival. He personally experienced transformation. And then he'll be able to teach the people and to call the people to be accountable to God's word and to be revived in their heart. You know, it is so essential for the teacher of God's word to be the doer of God's word. Not only you, you, you teach God's word, but you need to walk the talk because it empowers your teaching. It gives credibility to your teaching. It moves those who are listening to your teaching to be willing to take the step of faith to walk and to talk and to do God's will. And the teacher of God's word must be the doer of God's word. I wonder many of you who are enjoying teaching ministry, are you committed to be observers of the word of God? Are you committed to be doer of the word of God? If you merely enjoy it as an as a intellectual discipline, uh, as enjoying teaching ministry, that is not sufficient. You must fully allow God's word to be engaged in you to the point where you are willing to submit to the teaching of God's word, under the teaching of God's word, so that you are able to call others to submit under the teaching of God's word. Remember, we've gone through the Sermon of the Mount series. At the conclusion of the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, it reminds us that those who hear and does God's word will be like a house built on a rock. No amount of rain or floods or winds will be able to cause the house to crumble because it stands on the solid rock. And the word of God is solid rock. And this is what we need to do. Study God's word and let God, God's word study us to the point where we will observe God's word. But thirdly, then you are, beginning, you are ready to teach God's word. Teaching of God's word increases our faith in him. Matthew, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. So the teaching of God's word allowed the listeners to hear God's word. And once they heard God's word and are willing to observe the word of the Lord, faith begins to deepen. 
faith begins to manifest because the power of God's word will allow their lives to be transformed. Studying God's word, observing God's word, and teaching God's word is so essential. It increases the faith. It also helps Ezra to know how to teach God's word and lead God's people to obey God's plan for the Jewish remnant who returned to Jerusalem, not only to rebuild the temple, but now also to rebuild their spiritual life. So I want to challenge you to anchor yourself in God's word. This is the foundation of your leadership and your ministry. You know, many of us might have worked very hard in the church to serve God with all our hearts and all our mind, with all our love, uh, and, and oftentimes employing good practices that we have garnered, good SOPs that we have garnered from uh, different sectors of the society. But remember, those are good things, but the foundation will always be God's Word. Because God's Word gives you discernment, what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. God's Word gives you wisdom. When you fear God, you will do it God's way and not be able to go out of the boundary. Because when we fear God, we have a higher fear. We have a more uh, uh, transcendent fear. And that fear will wipe out all other fears. Fears of people's uh, praises. Uh, fears of people's uh, uh, responses. That fear will be the fear that guides us into our life of wisdom. And the Word of God will help us to hold fast because when we anchor in God's Word, God's promises will always hold true and we anchor ourselves on that. Because when we, when we uh, anchor ourselves in God's Word, we will know the purpose of God. We will know the, know the purpose of His church. We will do it God's way. That's how important it is. You know, when a man of God is willing to anchor in God's word, when a man of God responds to God's calling in a special time, the result is in verses 27 to 28, which Ezra praised God, prayed to God, and says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king, to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king, and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. You see that? When the leader responds to God's calling, to rise up to the occasion to do God's will, when the leader is willing to anchor himself in God's word, the man of God who anchors in the word of God is the right man to lead others to do the will of God. And that's the message I want you to hear today. The man of God who anchors in the word of God is the right man to lead others to do the will of God. You know, today, I just want to focus on the application of the message today on how God calls leaders and how God uh, challenges us to rise up to the occasion today and to apply that to the reopening of our worship and ministry outdoor. You know, discipleship calls us to deny ourselves, to take up the cross, to follow Jesus. And today, I feel that as we are uh, being called, uh, being ordered, in fact, to close down the indoor operations of the church, but that leaves us with the outdoor. There is no restriction in the outdoor. As long as we observe masks 
and social distancing. And thank God that uh, God has given us a piece of property uh, where two-thirds of the land is basically the parking area. And our parking spaces will be available for us to do that. You know, coming to do outdoor uh, worship takes effort. It takes sacrifices and inconvenience. But remember, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are not called to be comfortable or to be convenient. We are called to be faithful, to emulate after Christ. It is in our willingness to make special effort to live out our faith that our faith is enlivened and become vibrant. You know, after four months of online services, remember, we have to remember that this is not a permanent solution. This is only a temporary measure. There may be a need for online church, some people say, but we are not moving in that direction, at least for now. See, what is out of necessity, we tend to cherish. But what is out of conveniences, we tend to slack off, slump back on the sofa and watch the online worship like a TV program, not engaging, not participating in the worship. And the whole worship experience is diluted. But that's the best we can do right now. But now we want to take a step of faith and say that let's come back to do outdoor worship. Most of us feel alienated, down, stressed, and depressed in a lockdown situation because the virtual image is not real. While we can still see, this is not real. And 30 years ago, Alvin Toffler, who wrote the book Future Shock, the trends of 10 trends for the future, in 1980s he wrote that book. Um, he might be still around. And one of the trends he mentioned was high-tech and low-touch. When you have high-tech technology, you have very minimized uh, contact from people. And that is so true. Today, uh, in these four months, we experience high-tech online worship, online prayer meetings, different platforms and different apparatus allow us to get connected and see each other visually. But the touch is so minimal. It is not real. It is not real in a sense that we are not able to be in person, in contact with one another. Therefore, for many, our faith is in domain. Uh, we are in a lukewarm state of our spirituality and in, in our relationship with God. And many just take wait-and-see state. When we wait and see, when we wait and see, the natural law of decay will set in. When we wait and see, the natural law of deterioration will set in. When we wait and see, we naturally drift, drift with the current. We cannot stand strong. So we are moving towards the plan of reopening our church and ministry outdoor. And the pastors are very committed to do that. So God has given us a, a, a parking space of about 300, so we can use about 130, 140 to leave space in between every parking space. So we are thinking about worship service on Saturday and Sunday, maybe 8 to 9 a.m. in the morning before it gets too hot, and evening about 5 to 6 when it cools down a little bit while we are still in the summertime. And when we do it on Saturday and Sunday, we have four services. Just imagine if each service uh, has about 80 cars or even 50 cars to come back. We have about 200 cars every weekend. And if each car has one passenger, uh, one driver, or, or two persons in a car, or four persons in a car, 
we can draw about five, six hundred people back every every weekend. And that will be in live worship. The preacher will preach, hopefully through FM radio, and that will not disturb our neighbors. Uh, and, and we just want to call our people. Yes, efforts and inconvenience and, and, and uh, other things is called for, but that is discipleship. That is what Jesus calls you and me to do. So when the worship runs well, maybe we can expand our parking space for other groups like small groups and fellowship or even IT on Thursday night or youth ministry on, on Friday night or something like that by coming in your car and be able to do ministry together. A survey has been sent out to you uh, to solicit your feedback. Please respond quickly so that we know which congregation and which language to allocate for the worship services. Uh, there might be tweaking in the time. There might be some minor changes. But this is something new. Again, be flexible. But we are determined to move in that direction. And for some of you, it will not be wise for you to come back. Do not feel guilty. Do not feel bad that I am not supporting the pastoral staff. We fully understand that. Medical personnel has been telling us that we should not come back because we are in the hospital. We are facing a high concentration of COVID-19 patients and viruses in the workplace, even though we have PPE, even though we wash and clean ourselves before we take off from work. Uh, but we don't want to have a chance of infecting our church members. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sensitivity. So don't feel bad. Uh, we know that people who are having pre-existing medical conditions, you should not even give that slight chance of infection because it can be fatal. It can really affect your health. And others who have uh, immunocompromised uh, situations, if you are weak in immunity, like the older folks and generations, or you live with people like that, pregnant women, very young children, you should not come back. You should really think twice uh, before you think about driving back uh, for the outdoor. We fully understand that. Be at peace. Do not feel pressure or feel bad at all. We bless you. But today I'm really speaking to those who are able to come back, to rise up to the occasion, to respond to the call of God, to build a vibrant church, even outdoor, in the midst of a crisis like COVID-19, which is still spiking amazingly around the world in different countries and our country as well we are the top on the list and we are asking ourselves how do we rise up to the occasion the relief team how do you rise up to the occasions after the mask has been distributed and you have done so well and you have given gift uh, package to the neighbors to show our love for them are there follow-up steps that we can consider even in the midst of COVID-19, to rise up to the occasion and let the gospel message go out to soothe the hearts who are anxious and fearful. Blood drive will happen in August, the second blood drive. That This is something that we can do for many of us who are healthy quite easily to bless the community, to tell the county, to tell the, uh, the city that we do care and we do support and we give blood uh, for those who need blood transfusion. The Cantonese did a gospel outreach on a weekend uh, to share the story on how the gospel of Jesus Christ impact and, and transform our lives. What other gospel outreach can happen? Do we just sit and wait until the COVID-19 is over? Then we begin to go out and make disciples of all nations. There was no time restraint. There was no 
good season for us to do that. But in every season, we shall preach the word of God and we shall preach the gospel. What does it mean for you? Think together in your small group. Think together in your fellowship. Think together in your group and say, how can we still be the gospel-centered church that our pastors cause us to be? Because we obey God's word. That's what God is calling us to be. How do we serve our neighbors? Young people, if you are not in school, if you are uh, done with your online thing and you are in a break right now, instead of just spending time in computer gaming and other platforms, uh, can, you, can we come together for the gospel? Come together and establish a platform where we are able to connect and share our stories, how our faith sustains us throughout this crisis. The students, you know, how do we bring our people together? And these are the things that we would need to consider in order to be a vibrant church of Jesus Christ. See, when you come back, for those who are able to, when you come back to worship outdoor, what happens is you can see one church in display. Not a complete church, but for whoever that can come back, 120 cars or 130 cars, we can see each other, we can sing together. We can hear the same message. We can wave at each other. And we can even talk to each other with masks and social distancing and pray for one another. The one church image is coming back to us. When we come back together and worship in a parking area, it forces us to see outside the four walls of the Mac. It forces us to see outside of the four walls of the church. And we begin to see the neighbors again. We see the houses lining up against the boundary of our wall and, and begin to question and ask ourselves, these are people. They are also under COVID-19 crisis. They have needs. They have spiritual hunger. They have fears. Some might have lost a loved one. But at the same time, we also see that our society is also very materialistic. Like the days of Noah, we are engaging in eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. There's nothing wrong with that. The only thing is they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. They live in a very materialistic, secular uh, state that God is not even considered in their mind. But as we come back together, it really forced us to see outside the four walls of the church. It forces us to ask ourselves, since 1993, when we moved to this location, do we know our neighbors? Are we blessing our neighbors and community with the gospel, with the love of Jesus Christ? You know, by coming back together, we begin to ask good questions and say, God, you put us in 1555 Fairway Drive for a reason. Today we come back together in the outdoor worship. It can be a little bit hard, it can be inconvenient, but you call us to be disciples, to deny ourselves, to take up the cross, to follow Jesus. And when we do that, Lord, we feel challenged, we feel stretched, we feel enlivened in our faith. And Lord, teach us, reveal to us what we can do in order to bless others because you call us to be light and salt of the community. See, God is stirring. God is stirring us. Yes, God is stirring the whole world. And many, many people begin to think about eternity. Many, many people, because of COVID-19, begin to wonder about God. They may curse God and not happy with God and complain and blame it to God, but at least God goes through their mind. They never thought about God until now. 
But the primary audience, I believe, God is calling is God's people. He is stirring us, the people of God. And I wonder, how would you respond to God? Would you respond as a man and woman of God who anchors in the Word of God as the right man and woman to lead others to do the will of God? That's what He's calling us today. And that's the message I want you to hear today. Would you consider it? Would you pray? Would you reflect on the message? Would you talk about that in your small group? Would you talk about it in Sunday school that follows up? Would you talk about that in your fellowship and say, hey, the pastor is calling us to rise up to the occasion to be the men and women of God who anchor in the word of God and be the right men and women to lead others to do the will of God. Would you do that? Let's pray together. Lord, we just want to respond to the challenge of God's word because we are in a special time. And in a special time, you calls us, it calls us to rise up to the occasion to do God's will. Lord, let me be the man and let me be that woman of God that you have called and let me respond to you. Would you pray that prayer? Lord Jesus, I pray that you will move and stir us in such a way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me give you the blessings of God as you ponder on the message. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all as God continues to stir you to do His will. In Jesus' name, amen.